Welcome to England Cricket on 99.94, the home of cricket audio. I am Daniel Norcross, broadcaster, writer, increasingly inept cricketer and podcaster, uh, with zero ducks given as well as this and the final word. Zero ducks given, is that on yeah, start? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I recorded the uh, 112th nice. episode Get yesterday. Yes. 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 Yeah, give it a go. You might like it. Um, and uh, that was an interjection from my co-host, the delightful... Rory Dullard, the puff pastry hangman of Press Association. I'm afraid it's going to stick. <laughs> it's going to stick. Well, I think they're changing, they're changing my job title as we speak. What? Yeah, you might get a, a raise, you know. <laughs> anyway, let me continue. Because here we are your home for all England cricket content. And we'll be right here several times every week discussing English cricket. You can find us in your favourite podcast places on YouTube or in our 99.94 app. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are going to talk about the announcement of the women's T20 side, the squad to face India. They play three T20s and three ODIs. We don't have the ODI squad yet, but that will be coming in due course. We will be looking at the women's 100 and the men's 100, the two competitions that ended, and see whether there were any bolters in there, if there are any clues for people who might come into the England setup, both women's and men's. Um, Rory, let's kick off with the announcement of that women's T20 squad. It was, it's pretty much the same as Commonwealth Games, but with one minor tweak, well, two minor tweaks. Well, the, one of the tweaks is, is in Heather Knight's body, unfortunately. So Heather Knight, as we know, it, it remains on the injured list. So, so Heather uh, won't be around. Nat Siver continues to captain. And Catherine Brunt sits out. She is resting and Lauren Bell comes into the squad. So the, the Catherine Brunt situation, I suppose, is just, it's just nothing more exciting or interesting than, than what we've been seeing in men's cricket for years and years and years, which is England finally have enough games and enough, uh, enough workload for the fast bowlers to say, I could do with a break. So... You know, not not ideal for them to be missing out on on player like Catherine Brunt in a big series uh, against India, but weirdly positive that that the women have enough cricket and enough high level intense cricket that that, sh- that Catherine needs to to dip out. Yes, I guess so. I mean, I've been watching them all season, and she was being rested back when they played in the series earlier on against South Africa, and and rested really quite quickly. So I mean, she didn't play the Test match. Um, because she'd retired from Test cricket. Then she did play, I think, a T20 and then rested soon after, or an ODI and then rested soon after. So obviously they're managing her workload. But it feels to me, I can't help but think that this is sort of not managed decline, but managing out gradually of the setup. And yet, you know, in the ODI at Northampton, I remember she was absolutely head and shoulders England's best bowler. Um, on her day, she is still the most combative, the most attacking, the most dangerous, most wicket-taking threat that England have got. But I think she's actually becoming a little bit more inconsistent. You know, if you try to compare her with Jimmy Anderson, and people do because of her longevity, she's been around for ages. Yeah, Anderson, it seems to me, has become more and more metronomic as time has passed. Brunt has become a bit sort of more daisy. You know, some days she does, some days she doesn't. And it's uh, it's it's a bit yeah it's 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 intriguing. Um, so look, you're right. There are plenty of options, aren't there? There's the likes of Kate Cross um, as well. Freya Kemp has come into the setup. Very young, very exciting prospect. And still, women's cricket actually, despite 
us talking about these quicker bowlers, you know, spinners are still the king, aren't they? Sophie Eccleston's the best bowler in the world mm. because it's probably the most effective form of bowling in women's cricket. Yeah, and and as as you say with Catherine, that maybe if if it is managed, managed sort of paving the way for the ultimate departure, that is what sometimes you need to do. You you actually need to say, well, maybe she could have played a couple of games, but actually, if you if you do rest her completely and take her out of the equation, then it it makes it quite clear to the other bowlers that there's there's no relying on her this this week. This is this is on you, um, and that is. To hark back to Anderson, unfortunately, that is what they did in the West Indies. And they said, we're going to pull this guy out of the equation to see what you guys can do holding the fort. So, so that, that's going to be a challenge uh, because it's not as though they can lose a game and, and say, right, well, you know, Catherine's back in now. So it, it will put a bit more, and I wouldn't say pressure, I would say responsibility on people, which, uh, which is no bad thing. And it is, I mean, it has been if we just, you know, if we do look at it, there's probably one or two others who who wouldn't mind a nice little city break and a trip to centre parks <laughs> or something because they they started if you look at the schedule that the England women set up really they started with a test match went straight from the test match I don't think they went home I think they went straight to the Commonwealth Games camp the ones who were in it had you know had all that thing and, and that was an event that wasn't just a cricket series so it probably was had a bit few more demands on their time they might have just been a bit more active around the place because it was such an interesting place to be at. From there to the 100, now the international setup is is up and running again. It has been quite a... It's been quite an ask, actually. And if if there's one or two players in that squad who look a bit leggy or a little bit lethargic or like they've had a pretty long run of it, it's because they have. Well, they have, actually. You're absolutely right. I mean, the Test match preceded the T20 and ODI series against South Africa. So they had, what's that, 10 days of cricket there, spread over about two and a half, three weeks. Straight into the Commonwealth Games, straight into the 100 for the elite players, that is. And this is a great thing. I mean, we were looking back at the COVID year of 2020 and priority had been made for men's cricket, mainly because of the broadcast rights issues. And women's cricket was really an afterthought. And eventually the West Indies came over and played some miserably cold matches in late September uh, in Derby. Yeah. Uh, which was... I did do one of them and uh, became an icicle along with the players who were feeling oh, it long leg. It was, yeah, it was perishing. I mean, it wasn't really cricket. But the idea was, you know, that, that at least the women weren't completely forgotten in a rather patronising way, whereas the men had fulfilled a whole bunch of one-day fixtures and six test matches. And quite understandably, there was a lot of peevishness around that, I think. And yet now the pendulum's flipped entirely the other direction. And if you want to see, I'm trying to think, Nat Siver in action, you could pretty much watch her pretty much every other day of the week (laughs) from the beginning of July (laughs) until the end of August, which is a great thing. But it will actually take its toll because, you know, the women aren't used to the grind of county cricket, which is what men's cricketers are, are sort of brought up on. So these things are going to occur. I mean, within the squad, though, there are a couple of other notable things I think we've got to look at. One is Tammy Beaumont, still frozen out of uh, T20s, and the other is Nat Siver and her being captain, because uh, we'll move on to the Women's 100 shortly, but she kind of stood down as as captain, and Elise Villani stepped in 
almost as if it was all just getting a bit much. And maybe, you know, looking at Siva's schedule, she's been, as I said, you know, mm. you can watch her every other day of the week for two months. Maybe it just become too much. Now she's going to take over the reins of being captain again when she's shown that she would like to have, have discarded it in the 100. And and let's look at Tammy Beaumont because, I mean, it, it seems extraordinary, but I think this T20 side is almost like being a youth development side with Kate Cross as the kindly aunt looking on but not playing. Do you know what I mean? She's a, she was there yeah. in, the, in the Commonwealth Games squad, didn't play. Catherine Brunt's now rested, so she will take the sort of elder statesman role in the absence of, of Heather Knight. Will she play? Tammy Beaumont's been left out. It, it feels like the T20 squad is a place where they're really bringing on the youngsters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose that is sensible, really, as well. But um, uh, Tammy Beaumont is, I suppose, interestingly, she's playing in the ECB Select 11 game, which could could have been seen as a development 11 only. There's a few a few other... Well, most of the players in that team really are less established. And, and for, I suppose for Tammy Beaumont to, to to drop into that squad willingly and sort of that shows that she's pretty keen to keep her name front and centre because it could have been easy after a busy time for her to say, I think I can leave that spot to someone else. But she's not left it to someone else. She's taken it up uh, to make a case. She's also, she's she's stuck on 99 T20 caps, Ow. isn't she? So Tammy Beaumont. So if there was a... If there was a, a sort of a, a, a hunger to to get back on the park and, and break back in, getting your hundredth cap is a pretty you know she's a batter and batters love hundreds. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I, I'm absolutely sure that she's determined to get back in that squad. Just lastly, though, on the squad on Siver, if we're seeing signs of burnout, and um, and it's been increasingly prevalent in women's cricket because it hasn't just been about the matches they play, but the way they've had to play them. You know, England's women last year uh, went out to Australia for the Ashes and the schedule was changed at the last minute. They went straight from that to a World Cup in New Zealand. They spent an awful lot of time in quarantine. It might have hastened Anya Shrubsoul's retirement, for example. So we're starting to see similar issues taking place in women's cricket as has been happening in men's cricket for a while. Who is the captain of that T20 side? Because I mean, Tammy Beaumont would have been an obvious one as captain of Welsh Fire for example, but she's not in the squad. Um, Kate Cross would be, I guess, but she's not been being picked. But she's been captain of the Manchester Originals. So is it like Sophie Danny, Eccleston? Danny Wyatt's kind of... Danny Wyatt as captain. Danny Wyatt's in the frame. Danny yeah. Wyatt as captain. That would be a really eccentric captaincy style. <laughs> that, that I would <laughs> I would quite like to witness that. If we could see a month where Danny Wyatt captained England women and Stuart Broad captained England's oh. men, I think we'd all be happier for it, wouldn't we? What a time to be alive that would be. <laughs> <laughs> Sophia Dunkley? Now, Dunks, yes. Dunks, I think. Yeah, Dunks could be a possibility. Look, we will see. I wouldn't be surprised if we do see it, actually, in this series. But, you know, a lot will depend on how Sivir has pulled up after the, uh, the 100. Maybe she's got her break in. And um, so, on that note, we'll leave the England women's T20 squad. 99.94 is more than just this podcast. Jared Kimber has Red Inca and Double Century, one show that talks about the modern global game, and the other is a deep dive into our sports history. Double Century will now appear weekly, but there's also our expanding network of teams, England, South Africa, India, West Indies, and now the Sri Lankan show. If you want to find them, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994DM, downloading our app, or Google 99.94 Podcasts.
Now, in the second segment, I want to look at the women's 100. Um, I attended the final on Saturday. Uh, I attended the launch when the, the women actually came on second at the Oval. So the, the men went first, the women went on second. The only game they did that might be an experiment they try a little bit more of next year. But what I'm most interested in is not so much the fact that the Over Invincibles, my team, Over Invincibles Till I Die, cut me in half, I green, I bleed fluorescent green with that little finger pointing up. Um, not Until only... 2028 at least. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, they won, again, the first two tournaments. They've beaten the Southern Brave, which is an incredible achievement, actually, because the Southern Brave, on paper, is a standout best team in that tournament by a long, long way. Uh, very shrewd captures of signings from Charlotte Edwards, who knows exactly what she's doing. Nine full internationals in their regular starting eleven. They put out the same team pretty much every time. The two players who aren't full internationals are Georgia Adams, who had a stonking 100, uh, rediscovering form with the ball and bat, crucial innings in the Eliminator the day before, hitting 38 off 24. And the, the other player is Carla Rudd, who's been around for ages, can bat at 11 as a keeper, is beautiful, has beautiful clubs, uh, pulled off a terrific stumping standing up to a quick bowler. Um, they are the best team, and yet the Oval Invincibles did it again. Um, and in there, there may be a lesson. There may be some, some lessons for us in the future development of the England team. I wonder if there are players coming through that, that Oval Invincibles side that have surprised the management. Well, yeah, certainly playing in a, in a, in a winning team is a really good start, isn't it? And, and, and they have been the winning team. I think if we could also just circle back a little bit and, and give Lauren Bell a bit, of a, a bit of a hat tip because we kind of left her out of yeah. a little bit of the previous section because she was the name that, that comes into the squad ahead of Catherine Brunt, uh, the rested Catherine Brunt. And it, but she does so on the back of a standout 100. Uh, so she, she kind of fits in this section a little bit more. But she, her and... Um, I don't know, her and Freya Kemp kind of were the, the, the big combo, weren't they? They, they, they mm. really stood out. And I don't know, every, every time I seemed to catch a bit of 100, one of those two was, was taking a wicket. And I think Lauren Bell was second, second highest wicket taker in the tournament. Uh, she, she really sort of locked down a style and a method. And I don't know, she's 21, I think, isn't she? And, and she does look like someone who could pick up those... I'll step into those shoes of, of Catherine Brunt and have a pretty long and and successful uh, international career. So, yeah, she, she I suppose the trust and and faith they've shown in her to take that spot and and step in for Catherine Brunt is in in some part based on her stepping up again mm. in the hundred and carrying a lot of responsibility and a lot of uh, big moments in in that team. And she got a beauty of wicket in the final, didn't she? It was probably the I don't know, that final, both finals actually potentially were pretty flat. And there was a lot of, a lot of the wickets were just quite ugly, mistimed. Yeah, it was, it was a bad shots. pitch. It was a bad pitch again at Lords. Another it bad was. pitch. And, and actually, but, but Lauren, Lauren Bell's wicket midway through the, the innings was an absolute beauty. It was that, that's the one that some, somebody in the truck is waiting to clip up for the highlights <laughs> package. And, Ne- you know, next next summer when the hundred is back, you're going to see that wicket of the ball nipping in off the pitch and you know, hitting the top of off stump and Lauren Bell going up. Uh, that, that was more like you don't mind seeing ball on top of bat at all. Quite like it, in fact. But you don't want it to just be a series of clothed shots that don't go as far as people wanted them to. It needs to be 
the ball needs to be winning. And when Lauren Bell's on, on it, ball beats the bat properly. It does. I mean, her height is tremendous. Her pace is, is reasonable. It's not super quick. It's not, you know, um, Shabnam Ishmael or, or indeed Izzy Wong type pace, but her control is that much better, I would say. But it, it's the height she from which really she... do a bit with it. Yeah, and, and the height she delivers it from is, is crucial. You know, her nickname is The Shard. <laughs> not incidentally because uh, she was designed by a firm of architects, but because she is extraordinarily tall. And she has this distinctive little <laughs> skip right at the beginning as she runs in. There's a, there's a kind of theatre to the way she bowls. I think Freya Kemp has got... A, she's got a little bit of work to do, actually, with the ball. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if she becomes a, a little more Sam Curran-y, you know, in that we all got very excited by the left-arm angle. And there aren't very many left-arm bowlers. Tash Farrant would have been an obvious one who had a great 100 last year but is injured this year with a stress fracture. So we got a bit excited with Freya Kemp's left-arm angles, but she bowls almost entirely slower balls, back-of-the-hand slower balls, which are very hard to land. It's actually, I think she she could be more of a of a batting all-rounder than a bowling all-rounder, which would be no bad thing um, because, again, you know, she gives it an absolutely magnificent tonk when she's on song. Uh, but looking into the 100 that little bit deeper, looking at the Over Invincible side, um, Sophia Smale, who incidentally we yeah. were given a bum steer by Ebony Rainford-Brent on the first day of the 100. She told us that it was pronounced right. Schmale, as if Sean Connery was doing it. Sophia Schmale. Right. Uh, t- turns, out, <laughs> turns out it isn't, actually. It's just the way it's spelt. Sophia Smale. <laughs> um, she was a real revelation, young, uh, left armour. There's a glut of left armours uh, in, in the spin world. She was fascinating. Um, Eva Gray really came to the party as well, which was a, a – these are unsung players. And this is what's really positive, I think, for English women's cricket going forward, is that when I first started, your squad of 15, 16, that was it, really. There, there weren't yeah, well, yeah. strong enough players underneath that that main crop. Now, And there wasn't opportunities for those no, who might have been strong enough. Exactly. It wasn't because the players didn't have the quality. It's because – they weren't getting paid to train, so they didn't have the time to work on their skills, and they weren't playing enough highly competitive cricket in front of huge crowds. Which is which is one of the one of the takeaways. Again, they did they did for all the they did up the numbers again in terms of women's attendances. Yep, the, and the competition was shorter because of the Commonwealth Games. It was you know necessarily they, they, they lost a couple of games, but it did seem it did seem like the women's tournament held its held its line. Oh. Really, I wouldn't say more than that. I wouldn't say that the the upped attendances necessarily tell us this was a bigger, better, bolder, brighter tournament than last year, but I think it held its line. Well, I, I would say that it was actually better uh, for the reason that we had more Australians over. You know, last year we were still actually COVID-affected. So if you think in terms of domestic women's cricket competitions around the world, women's big bash it obviously feels like it's it's the primary competition because there are more professional women cricketers in Australia. So uh, the sides have got more, uh, it's got a deeper pool, basically. But actually, mm-hmm. um, I think the combination of playing in front of 10,500 at Trent Bridge, 16,000 at the Oval, 20,000 at Lords for the final, combined with the fact that, you know, you have players like Amanda Jade Wellington, Alana King, Elise Perry, uh, Villani, Mooney. I mean, these are proper, proper players on top of the Indian players that were here, uh, Smriti Mandana and so forth, uh, and combine that with the... Rodriguez, very too, all too briefly, yep. unfortunately. 
Exactly. But but and you combine that with the the depth in English women's cricket now. Well, I would say that the women's hundred has got a has got a case to be made for it being the primary women's domestic competition in the world. Um, and we also saw that Tammy Beaumont, we were talking about in the first section, desperate to get back in the side, was told, you know, we need to see more intent. Well, she showed she, she went absolutely frenetic in the innings I saw. 16 off six balls, four fours off the first four balls, then out, unfortunately, clearly taking on board that instruction. And the 100 gives her a chance to prove that. You know, now when selectors say, we want this from you, there's a ready-made competition and the players can go and prove that, you know, they've taken that instruction and they're going to run with it. So, you know, I would say that the Women's 100 has been an unequivocal success for the second year running. Just as a short addendum to that, I'm not in the business of puffing up the tyres unnecessarily and I don't, you know, there's multifaceted reasons for why things happen. But my daughter was invited to go and play in a, a women's, a, a girls, she's, she's nine, a girls cricket tournament in, just outside of Leeds. Uh, and she'd already played a couple of training sessions. She'd barely been started really, but she was, she went along and had a nice time. 12 teams um, of six. There was, a, I went along and watched, there's about 75, 80, 80 kids, girls between nine and 12 who all played this festival in Leeds. And I just thought, I don't know that that happens without this profile. I think I agree. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it being free to air on, on TV must have helped. Now then, love cricket and want to hear more? Well, head over to the 99.94 app. You can hear all our podcasts and our commentary. We are the home of Cricket Audio Online and we're adding new shows and covering series all the time. The best way to follow us is via our app or on social media at 9994DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. Daniel Norcross, Rory Dollard here. Uh, We're going to close out the show today with a brief look at the men's hundred and what, if anything, it did to, I say, I mean, find some bolters for the England T20 squad, um, cement the reputations of some players, worsen the reputation of other players. A couple of obvious players who suffered, I think, in this T20 will be Joe Clark, who wasn't around the England setup, but there had been murmurs uh, controversially at the start of the season about whether or not he might make a push for England selection. And Tom Banton, who only two or three years ago was the reincarnation of KP and uh, now is is certainly not the reincarnation of KP. Those two have suffered. Any others who suffered and any others who caught your eye, Rory? Yeah, well, those two guys, I mean, they're just emblematic, aren't they, of the the Welsh fires struggles. They they were brought in and they've both done all right in terms of picking up a cheque. But it just it has not panned out. Um, Johnny Bairstow hasn't really played for them. It just the, the something's gone a little bit awry there, and and, it, and they say those two guys have definitely stepped backwards. I think Ben, we talked a little bit last time out about Ben Duckett, and there was a time not so long ago when Ben Duckett was behind both of those guys. He, he he'd sh- slipped behind them in the shuffle, but it, it has felt it's felt like the the big winners this time around in, in the England idea a, a, a Jax because he had a standout performance that really grabbed the attention with that hundred and he backed it up with a pretty consistent he was he you know he, he looked a pretty reliable option and that is in a way more attractive to England than Will Smead maybe getting a big hundred and uh, that that been a, a skyscraper amongst some very yeah. small bungalows on his on his graph. <laughs> so Jax looks like he might have just jumped up into the next bracket 
as someone who might be a bit more reliable. Not not yet to play, of course, but he does look interesting. I, I still think Jordan Thompson had quite an underrated yep. to- pop tournament. He he was ditched by Superchargers basically last year and picked up by London Spirit, and he became. I don't know. I think if you become Owen Morgan's go-to guy at big moments, that's a pretty nice recommendation. Uh, and he did. He bowled him at the top and at the death. And and Morgan's not a sentimental guy who chucks opportunities around because he likes a fella. It, it's based on something. So that he, he's an interesting one. Tom Helm yep. is, is traveling to Pakistan based on, again, a, a pretty strong tournament for him. And then... I don't know, Bolters, I don't know if there's anyone we didn't expect, but Adam Lythe surprised me with just how free and easy he was. He, he, I think he was the MVP, wasn't he? He was, yeah. Of the tournament, yeah. surprisingly to some, really, because Superchargers were hit and miss, really. But that was just for the first time I wondered whether England, and I hadn't ever thought this before, I just wondered if England hadn't got quite enough out of him. Oh. Because he is someone who is quite a talented hitter, a good slip catcher, and he's going to unless something unusual happens, he's going to slide out of cricket sometime in the not too distant future with unfulfilled at the top level, really. Well, I absolutely agree. It's amazing, isn't it? They never went back to him for test cricket. He's had four or five years when he's been outstanding at the top of the order for Yorkshire in T20 Blast, you know, hitting hundreds. It's kind of strange. He's never really been part of the conversation. I don't really understand why. And the same would go for Laurie Evans. You know, a guy who has captained that side and captained the Manchester Originals when Joss Butler was injured, put himself straight at the top of the order because that is Laurie. You know, he's got a mm. he's got oodles of self confidence. <coughs> Excuse me, and he didn't he didn't disappoint. I mean, his performance in the Eliminator opening with Phil Salt, who is clearly seen as a sort of like for like replacement. He's he's an opening batter wicketkeeper. So when Joss Butler's injured mm. and Johnny Bairstow's out of the tournament. He's definitely going to be around. But, you know, Laurie Evans has got a very wise old head. And people talk a lot about T20 being actually a kind of an older man's game because it's so tactical. It so uh, requires you to be calm and make the right choices in the moment that it feels like it's a young dashers game. But actually, you need to be uh, pretty composed and know what you're doing. It's one of the reasons, I think, why Will Jacks has attracted the attentions because... He's captain Surrey. He's an extremely equable kind of um, on the level young man. He doesn't feel like mm. a sort of explosive batter like, say, Tom Banton. Um, he feels strangely, while sitting it to all parts, like he's doing it with with measure. And um, yeah, I mean, I think those are guys. Laurie Evans is one who I think, like Adam Lyne, is going to be really unlucky not to get an England T Twenty cap. Yeah. And if we if we look back on the final as well, we should give something to Lewis Gregory because yeah. in what was, and we needn't go over the fact that it was a useless pitch and it was a bit flat and a bit stodgy and it was heading towards a bit of disappointment and and people sort of giving it a, a bad rap. And actually Lewis Gregory saved the, bit near enough saved the competition by yeah. conjuring up out of nowhere a bit of a grandstand finish. But he's a guy who, 30 years old, he's played... 12 times for England, three ODIs, nine T20s. And he, he looks like a, a fella who's played, he's always been in and around battles for trophies. You know, he's he's not coasted through county cricket by any means. He's been in the hunt mm. all the time and he bowls, he, beals, he fields, he bats. But he, he's just been 
maybe a couple of percentage below what they were looking for for England. But it does seem that he he might fit into that category as well of someone who maybe maybe had a bit more to offer. And, and at 30, did they go back to Lewis Gregory? I don't know. Well, wasn't it instructive that they've got a hunch on Gleeson and it was Gleeson bowling to Gregory with 11 needed from the last mm. five balls. And Gregory turned that game on its head in one minute. I mean, it was actually, mm. it was the six that did it. It was, it was one moment. Because, that was the game, yeah. Because it, it, going from 11 off five to five off four, then Gleeson's straining because he, he feels he's just missed the block. So he goes that little bit fuller and his next ball is a poor one. Um, you know, shin high, full toss, and the game is gone. But that's, that's because of the six that happened before. It's one of those extraordinary moments in a game of cricket when you really can point at one delivery. And because it wasn't yeah. the worst ball. A super shot as well. It was an incredible shot. Whip of the wrists, flies into the grandstand. Flat as a pancake. Yep. And I mean, I can't remember. I, was, I think it was four years ago, 2018, when Gregory ended the T20 blast with plenty of runs at a strike rate in excess of 200. And that's what really, I think, got people thinking this guy has got something about him. Now, I think the problem that they got with him is that the bowling, his bowling isn't quite Quite there. Isn't quite there, and yet, and they're using him as an all-rounder. And England's bowling resources are the ones that I think they've got to be most concerned about. You mentioned Tom Helm. He did have a great tournament. You've mentioned Jordan Thompson. Um, England have picked a bunch of injured bowlers, as we said the other day, <laughs> in yeah. their squads. Uh, time is going to tell. But I would think a lot of people, a lot of bowlers, should be on high alert because that is that is the area where England um, really do, I say not struggle as such, but where the depth isn't there. Um we're going to leave it there for today, Rory. There's a test match coming up. We'll be probably bothering you during the middle of it at some point. And it's not any old test match. It's the last test match of the English summer. Uh, it's at the Oval. Of course it is. And with the series beautifully poised at one all after two very one-sided shellackings, I'm just hoping that we get a tight one. But for now, thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. From both of us, for now, goodbye. Thanks for listening to England on 99.94. Please rate, review and subscribe. You can download the 99.94 app from where you get your apps. And you can follow us personally on Twitter at Norcross Cricket and at The RVD, which is Rory's Twitter and Instagram. That's T-H-E-R-V-D. Of course, Rory was going to be difficult. We'll put links up for everything we do there. Remember, if you love cricket, then 99.94 is the home of cricket audio. Follow them for podcasts and commentary from the world of cricket. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast.